little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 18 or anyone who thinks you can only swing in a playground. Hello all and welcome back to Smut Drop. This is your weekly roundup to the more eccentric side of sex and relationships from metro.co.uk. I'm Miranda Kane and on this week's show I'll be looking at when to shoot your shot with that friend you fancy, talking about pride and transitioning with Jamie Rains and seeing what you said when I asked our listeners for their tiny turn-ons. If you like what you hear then please rate, review or or at least subscribe wherever you get your finest of podcasts. And I hope you're ready because I'm about to oh, awkwardly yawn. And oh, is that my arm on on your shoulder? Oh, no, I've got no idea how that got there. Hello, 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 dearest listener. Okay, quick question: Have you ever fancied a friend? No, I don't mean if you've leapt into a hopeful romance only to find you've been slammed into the friend zone because we all know that's a toxic patriarchal idea stemming from entitlement. No, I mean you might be friends with someone since college. You might have grown up near each other as little neighbourhood friends or you might be flatmates or you might have been working together for years but you're not sure if you're more Jim and Pam or more Michael and Dwight. Well, Georgina Vass, a relationship and sex therapist, says romantic and sexual attraction can blossom amongst friends and sometimes lead to relationships and there are signs of this. And look, I'm not going to lie, but these things are all fairly simple things to look out for. You know, are they nervous around you? Are they making excuses to be around you? Maybe they're making one too many cups of tea. Georgina says to look out for non-verbal communication, like holding a gaze longer than expected or smiling more, using a softer or lower tone of voice and more confident posture. She says these can all be evidence of flirting. Oh, you don't need me or a sex therapist to tell you that you know what flirting looks like surely but if you're the one doing all of that and they're not reciprocating then Georgina says maybe it's not a good time to try for anything more the signals would suggest your friend probably isn't interested in the same way that you are but if the signs are pointing to a mutual attraction then are you going to make your move if you are then Georgina recommends to keep Things simple, simple communication over big gestures anytime. She says, keep it real and talk to your friend. It's highly unlikely that the thought never crossed their mind. But people like to avoid difficult things. And typically, the feared outcome is way worse than reality. So what are you going to do? Are you always going to sit there and wonder, oh my God, they keep stroking my hand and they keep making me cups of tea and they keep finding excuses to come over to my house. But what if they don't like me? Are you always going to sit and wonder that or are you just going to have a little simple chat? You decide. Now, it may be that the person feels the same way about you or doesn't. But it might be that they've already guessed you felt that way and they don't want it to affect your friendship. 
Now, if you want to get some more tips on this, and if you want to see if it's mutually assured attraction, head to the article called These Are The Signs It's Time To Shoot Your Shot With That Friend You Kind Of Fancy over at metro.co.uk. But obviously not before my fabulous chat with this week's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, gays and theys, it's Pride Month and we are diving in like it's a cold pint on a hot summer's day by speaking to someone who wants you to know all about the tea in LGBT. He's got over a million followers on his YouTube channel and I want to chat to him today about what it's like to have spent 12 years transitioning after discovering you were trans by accident. It's Jamie Raines. Hello, Jamie. Hey, uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. But I am going to start with that. How did you discover you were trans by accident? Oh, God. Okay, so it was literally, I was just flicking through the channels when I was 16, just watching TV as you do. And there was this title that was like, The Boy Who Was Born a Girl. And I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. And I watched it and it was about a trans guy who was 16 and the beginning of his transition and how he felt. And it was like something just clicked. I was like, oh my God, this explains how I've been feeling my whole life. And it was from there that I just went on this journey of self-discovery. So what was it when you say, oh, this is how I've been feeling my whole life? What were those feelings? Just this general sense of like, um, so the earliest memory I have is when I was, not ever, but related to this, when I was four, I just thought I was one of the other boys. I didn't realise there was a difference. It didn't, like, register with me. Um, mm. And it wasn't until I got older that I was like, oh, well, people are telling me this and saying these things. And what does that mean? And it just caused a lot of internal conflict and confusion. And I got to a point in my teen years where I was like, oh, well, I guess I just have to live like this, even though it doesn't feel right to me. Mm. Um, and then discovering the term trans, I was like, oh, that's why I feel like this. And it was just very liberating and scary. <laughs> So I'm going to start off with a really basic question in that, and like when you say, oh, I just thought I was one of the boys, but how was it that you were like, I, I am a boy, but not like, oh, I'm just a tomboy. I'm just a girl who likes being one of the lads. What was the thing that differentiated that for you? It's really difficult to kind of like pinpoint it specifically. It's just that mm. I guess it's like asking anybody how they know that they are the gender they are. It's like whether mm. they're cis or trans, how do you know? It's just that kind of innate feeling of like, you know, and as a child, you want to fit in with like the in-group typically for your gender. And it was just that very strong feeling of like, I am not like the girls. That's not who I fit in with. That's not who I feel I am. When you discovered, when you were watching the programme then, what made, what were your next steps? What did you, how did you know what to do next? I had no idea what to do next. I had <laughs> no idea. And like, there was so little information 12 years ago about like, just what to do. I was like, okay, great. I know what this term means, but like, okay, what can I do about it? Like, do I Google? Do I go to a doctor? Do I speak? Do I need to find a specialist? Like, I really didn't know what to do. And I ended up just just watching other people online, just, just go, turning to YouTube, turning to social media where other trans people had voices and were sharing their stories and listening to their journeys. And kind of that really helped me accept myself and feel 
comfortable and confident in this this kind of new language that I'd found out about myself. But in terms of like practical steps, absolutely yeah. no idea what to do. It took a while and talking to a lot of people to, to figure that out. When you were learning about, so were you basically just learning from like different bits of social media, what trans was and what you wanted to do? Yeah, so it was it was just a case of like listening to other people go through their journeys and, and feeling less alone with mine. And then just, I spoke to the counsellor at college and I was like, this is how I'm feeling. And she was like, great, I don't know how to help you. And then I spoke to somebody else who was like, I can talk to you about your gender things, but I still don't know what advice to give you in terms of transitioning. Um, so it yeah. really was just like a go discover this for yourself type situation, um, which was quite daunting. Yeah, definitely. So so how did you start your transition if there wasn't any kind of practical help there? I ended up just being like, I, I think I need to speak to my GP. So I went to speak to my GP and really fortunately, the person I spoke to had um, worked kind of parallel to the gender clinic in London, Charing Cross. And like he'd had colleagues there. So he knew the process for transitioning with the NHS. And he told me all about what gender identity clinics are and wait lists and like the steps and the process and everything. And then being given that information allowed me to then be like, OK, well, I know what to look up now. I know what these next steps are. I know it's like a gender clinic and that's where I would need to go to see a specialist. And that's kind of what set me on the right path. But if I'd spoken to a GP that knew less or as little as me, I would have been lost for a lot longer than I was. Yeah. Yeah. So is that what's inspired you to write your book? Partly, yeah. It was It was, It was. was that. And it, it, that's mostly what inspired me to start like a, a kind of YouTube channel, both personal documentation and uh, from a UK perspective, because everybody I was watching was in America. Um, and just share that information. I think it's like, there's a lot, it's a lot more accessible now, which is great. Um, with the book, I wanted it to be like a humanizing the trans experience like showing that this range of trans voices no one journey is the same um and just helping people feel less lonely in their journeys and supported um that's what I wanted it to do do you think it's changed within 12 years I think there is so much more information and there's a lot more support uh, I think people uh like being trans is something that's spoken about and <laughs> not entirely positively everywhere. Like there's a lot more hostility, which is, is a real shame. But I think it's because we're reaching this point where it is discussed, where people do know what it is, where people who are trans are able to get the support they need. But there's this like very loud pushback against it. That's like people don't like it because they're scared of what they don't understand. Um, but there's certainly that positive side where we are seeing a lot more information being shared. Yeah, it seems like there's sort of like horrific payoff of like the more something is shown and appreciated and stood for, the more yeah. haters you're going to get, the more people are going to stand up and go, ah, you know, it's that thing of like, well, rights isn't yeah, pie. Absolutely. It's not like if someone's got more rights than someone else, they, you know, yeah. you can you can all have rights and you can all like live and ah, oh, it's so ridiculous. Um, so they what at what age did you start transitioning? What age did you first go to your GP and start asking about all this? Oh. I was 17. Um, wow, that's a young age! Yeah, but I feel like when you put it in the context of, like, when 
when kids start puberty, it's quite old. Mm. So like for me, I was like, I've already done the wrong one. I'm already like way into that. And I want to, <laughs> I want to do the right one. And 17, like going on 18 feels really old to start that, you know, like, yeah. um, I think there is a lot of like, oh my goodness, people are knowing so young, but we, we trust cisgender kids that they know their gender and that they, it's appropriate for them to go through puberty and experience permanent changes. But and there needs to be that same trust with trans kids. And so I would have transitioned earlier if I'd found the language sooner. Did you, how was your friends and family when you came out to them or did you come out to them? Or I did. I told my mum first. <laughs> <laughs> my friends and family were great. I was very, very lucky to have a super supportive group of people around me. Um, my parents were really amazing. Uh, my like, like core friendship group was great. Um, yeah. I did experience like, rumors go around college there were some like acquaintancy type friends that kind of just stopped talking about like talking to me I knew that mm. things were being said but I had like my group that I could be with and I kind of yeah. it was like a little like a safe space for me yeah yeah sometimes you've got to see things as filters like it's you know you know who your true friends are when you're going to go through something like yeah. this I think yeah absolutely and that's always nice to know for as the process goes forwards you've got that core group of friends and your family around you oh yeah yeah so when when you went to the doctors and like you did you um what was the process with the doctors and with transitioning just for for anyone who's thinking of going through this where do where do things start so in the UK there's two routes that you can take um mm -hmm. for going through the NHS it would start with talking to your GP and kind of explaining how you're feeling uh explaining that a referral like requesting a referral to a gender identity clinic um but the wait lists kind of vary anywhere from two years to five or in some places even six years to even have a first appointment. Mm. Um, back when I was transitioning, there was a, a little step in between with the local mental health team. And then it was on to a gender clinic and the wait times were about 12 to 18 months to see a gender clinic. And now they're just like, they've, they've gone up so much. It's, it's, it's a long, long time people have to wait. Um, so there's mm. also private clinics as well where you can self-refer. Um, you go through the same kind of specialist appointments with counsellors and doctors, but you miss that GP referral step and the wait lists are much shorter. It's about six months, I believe. Okay. What would, is there any particular ones that you would, any particular route that you would recommend? I mean, in an ideal world, everybody would be able to have access to the private route uh, just because it's not that like multi-year wait to even speak to somebody about how you're feeling. Um, but unfortunately it's not accessible to everybody. Um, yeah it, it costs a bit of money um I think yeah I, I would just recommend that if people feel they need that support that they get on it as soon as they feel ready to because unfortunately it, it is going to take a while like for you did you have any major fears or was it just like this is I need to do this and I'm I'm going to go for it or was there anything that you were particularly anxious about um, no, I was very confident. I was like, I know this is who I am. Like, this is this is what yeah. I want out of this this process. This is what I need to do. Um, it didn't feel like a choice to me. I was like, this is this is a need. This is like necessary medical care that I need to access. Um, I was scared about going under anaesthetic, but like, who isn't? That was it. Yeah. Um, but in terms yeah. of like transitioning and it being the right thing for me, I was like very confident on that. And what was the brand of testosterone that you took in order to look like a young David Tennant by the end of it? 
<laughs> I mean, did you get to choose? Did you get a mug shot? And you're like, oh, that's what I want. This one. I want the like... Tinga Tenant brand, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> that must be quite nerve wracking because you don't know what kind of man you're going to end up looking like. Yeah. Am I, I... Fo- I mean, I know I'm focusing on something really tiny, but I'm like, if I with transition i want to end up looking like brian blessed i want to look like a barrel chested <laughs> bastard at the end of it i get yeah i guess like it's an interesting thing because looks like how i was gonna look after apart from being like i just i want more masculine features the beard the voice and things yeah. i didn't think about specifics and i was also like i would preferably not lose my head hair that would be great yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah you just got to it's up to the testosterone gods what happens really <laughs> the testosterone gods just leave a little offering to them <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you started your youtube channel you got a million followers and when did you start your youtube channel and and what was the feeling behind it i know you wanted to start it because you wanted a uk voice yeah. for trans um i mean was that quite nerve-wracking because you again you'd open yourself up to loads more haters so yeah. where did you when did you start that? Um, so I started it like mid 2011. I think it was like September mm. or something. And it was, I wanted to document my transition. So I wanted like, uh, like how my voice changed on testosterone and things like that. And then also the UK perspective and talk about how I actually like managed to transition. And I remember a video, I think it was my first video getting 98 views. And I, I was talking to Sharper and I was like, no, I need to, I need to take it down. I can't, I can't deal with this. I don't want people watching me. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. And I'd have like a, like a heart fluttery moment whenever a new comment would come in and I'd be like, oh my God. And I was like, I, it's so weird looking back and where it's grown to, but like certainly when the channel was much smaller and the internet was a different place 10 years ago, it was a lot kinder. There was still hate, but not how it is now. I mean, would you do it now if you knew all the hate that was that was out there? Would you start a YouTube channel now? I Yeah, I, I still would, personally, because it's just... I'm used to living that life where it's what I've done, so I couldn't imagine not having done that. And, like, the feedback from it and, like, the messages I get from people, like, like messages from grandmas who are like, oh, you helped me accept my trans grandchild. And I'm like, yes, this is so oh, worth all the hate. Yay. So I just think, like, the positive stuff really outweighs the hate still. Um, so, yeah, definitely would still do it. That's such a great... I mean, that's such a great reason to, to keep going as well. So, because when it comes to transitioning, is there an end? Is there a moment you're like... I have trans. I have reached my ultimate form. <laughs> I am my final Pokemon, or is it a continuous thing? So I think this will like differ depending on which trans person you ask. Uh, like for me, yes, there was like a definitive end. Um, it was a combination of having all the surgeries that I, I felt I needed to do and getting my uh, new birth certificate. Oh, wow. Once those things were done. It, and it was really like that moment of when the birth certificate arrived, had a little cry. Yeah. Um, like a good cry. And just feeling like this weight was gone. I wasn't, I wasn't like on any waiting list for anything. I wasn't holding on. I wasn't, there was nothing more transition-wise for me to work towards. There was nothing more I needed to do. And the relief that came with that to be like, I can just 
live my life. I don't need to worry about these steps anymore. Um, but some people will feel like they're transitioning for their whole life because obviously like testosterone is still making me hairier. I don't know how, but it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so it's different for everybody. But yeah, for me, there was an end point. Okay, well, let's talk about the book, Putting the T in LGBT. Tell me about that and why you decided to start writing it. Oh, it's, yeah, I, I wanted to provide something that was, like, from a trans perspective, I think there's so many places in mainstream media in particular where, like, you don't hear trans voices being uplifted positively. It's either as a debate or it's, other people talking over trans people or about trans people in inaccurate ways and that's really uncomfortable to see and I'm just like as many things as possible that can be out there that show a true representation of trans people and the trans experience the better and I was like I it, it feels big-headed it feels really weird but like I really wanted to add to that I wanted to add something that was a combination of my personal journey mixed with the personal journeys of others so there's, there's a lot of other trans contributors who've added to the book as well um and then also like as a self-help so people can just flick through it and be like I don't know what to do about medically transitioning I don't know what's going to change and they can read that chapter or if they want uh tips on how to come out they can go to that chapter and there's information on that and it's just this like physical thing that's like I hope this can help and then there's bits for allies as well for anyone. It's not just for trans people. I want anyone to feel like it's accessible. Mm. I well, It's June, yes. hooray, Pride Month. And I think books like these are brilliant because I really love that one of the things that Pride... Uh, is there to do is to accept people who are just discovering themselves, just coming into the community. They want to find out more. So I think all these books with, that have got advice on where to start and, and how to keep going are really, really valuable. So what kind of tips do you have for any listeners out there who are listening to you and might be feeling the same way as you did when you were watching that TV program where they're like, oh, this is my journey. Yeah, this is how I feel. What are your big tips on where they can start and what what they can continue to to hold on to i guess first tip would be don't worry about taking your time like this is your journey and like own it for yourself and do things at your pace in a way that you feel comfortable with but then the second one is to find community i think whether that's other trans people whether that's friends that you already have who are accepting family anybody find that sense of support in your life and people that you can talk to um and and that just really helps and then don't put pressure on yourself it's okay like this is a journey it's gonna take time but it's gonna be worth it in the end and you deserve to have this journey yeah mm, I love that I, is there anything that you have kind of kept on to is there any kind of thing that you thought back at the back in the day but you you come back to again and again that keeps you going Honestly, the biggest thing for me is is self-acceptance. It's loving yourself. It's knowing that there is nothing wrong with you. I think that is still what I remind myself today when I see the hate and the negativity and the not so great things. I'm like, no, this is who I am. I deserve to live my life as myself and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's kind of what I keep going back to. I think that's such a an important point, definitely. 
Um, now, we are the Smut Drop podcast, I'm afraid. So we are the podcast that is looking up at the gutter. So I'm going to sure. just <laughs> take a quick deep dive in and start talking about sex. Because as a trans person, I, I, I'm not trans, but <laughs> it feels like there isn't any help out there for when it comes to sex. Like even with porn, it's all very cis orientated. You know, there's no sort of ideal, there doesn't seem to be a way to teach people how to have sex if you are not comfortable with your genitalia. So where did you start with that? It's a really interesting, you're right, there is no information out there. And it's like, it's only more recently that I've seen other trans people start talking about it and like sex toy brands uh, be trans positive as well um, and inclusive. But like, for me, it was honestly just boundaries, like just having that open communication. And like, whilst Shaba was going on a journey with me to figure out what we were both comfortable with and what caused me to feel very dysphoric and I, I like couldn't do and was very uncomfortable with I was also going on that journey I was like okay I'm figuring this out at the same time as you and it was all very overwhelming and there were many times where like things would start building up and then I'd be like nope I can't do it and that's okay like it's it's uh, like for me it really was communication is key and it's like boundaries in in any relationship whether it's like a romantic serious relationship or a sexual partner in any context the boundaries are so important for both parties mm. or all parties if there's more than two it's like um making sure that everybody's comfortable on the same page and allowing yourself to learn about yourself individually as well about what makes you comfortable and then taking that in with a partner it is just it's a process it is a learning process um, but like you'll get there there will be some awkward times but as there can be for anybody it's just like I think dysphoria can like just add that little bit of like oh hey I'm gonna ruin this moment for you and it's just kind of rolling with that it's gonna happen sometimes and you will learn from it and adjust and find ways of having sex that you are comfortable with and that you can enjoy how does celebrating pride feel for you I think it's a very special time like it feels very liberating there's still I mean but at the same time, it's a reminder of what still needs to be done. So it's that kind of like balance of a celebration and being proud of your identity and who you are. But then also recognising that this is still a stand for LGBT plus rights. And we're here to kind of be seen, be heard and be respected. And I think for trans people in particular, that is really key right now. And... I just I think it's so crucial and like I like the message of like pride is all year yes we love June June is amazing the official pride year but like it's to be celebrated and fought for all year round I think my favorite moments about pride is trans pride in particular people are there for the first time being themselves like they're, they're not out necessarily to family and they're there using correct name and pronouns for the first time and making new friends and it's the first day they're able to feel like they can be themselves. And I think that really highlights pride for me, like being able to be yourself. Yeah, definitely. Who have been some of the people that have given you your advice? Who have been some of the people in your life who you've had advice from and, and help? And I know you're going to say your wife because you're contractually obliged. I know you're going to say it. Well, we're married. I have to. I have to. <laughs> 
I'll allow once. It's it is so cliche, but honestly, from that first moment that I came out to Shaba, she has been the only person to never make a mistake on names and pronouns, to always be the person I felt was in my corner and like she understands like the smaller things that are difficult as well as the big things and she is there for everything and she has been to appointments with me and the hospital when I've had surgery and like just everything emotionally practically I could not have had somebody more supportive be by my side throughout the whole journey and I'm so grateful for that oh it's it's that connection though that i think that is such a lovely thing and it allows you to do like youtube and write a book and and to have that strength to go forward so it's always it's always lovely uh when's your book out tell us where we can find it and where we can find more information about you and the lovely shava the book is out june 29th it's like a little round after pride very Um, nice you can find it in all major bookstores and Amazon <laughs> and places. Um, and you can find me online with Jammy Dodger or Shaba with her name. We're on each other's profiles all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Codependency. That's what Absolutely. we love. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing something on my own today. <laughs> it's all right. We'll look after you. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for joining us, Jamie Ray. Thank you for having me. I have once again delved into the fun bags. Of course I have. It's my favourite bit. This week, I've been searching through the depths of my inbox to find your tiny turn-ons. Oh, come on. You know the ones. Is it that hand in the small of your back? Mm, Yeah, I know you can feel it. Uh, Okay, so Katie on my Instagram stories, she said, the way my boyfriend squeezed a lemon over fish on our first date. Now, is that a euphemism, Katie? Uh, (laughs) But she says it was proper manly. Just gripped it and squeezed the shit out of it. Do you know what? I know the type. It's like a half lemon and they just pick it up, squeeze it between their fingers and they just capture all their pips and then they just shake it off like nothing happened. Like it might be that later on when they're in the toilet, they need to have a cry because they've rubbed the lemon juice on their willy. But when they just squeeze it over and like just squeeze the shit out. Oh, yeah. I've never thought about that. But yes. Uh, Air Biscuits on Twitter. Air Biscuits? Is that my kind of followers these days? Air Biscuits on Twitter. When my girlfriend eats with her hands. Oh, it could be a hot dog, burger, anything. I just love to watch her really enjoy her food like that. Oh, air biscuits. We are a match made in heaven. (laughs) I can eat a whole meal before I realise there's cutlery on the table. Is that sweet? I think that's sweet. Now, Anonymous on email says the way my girlfriend's bum pops (laughs) when she's hanging pictures on the wall. Or, more recently, having to change the batteries in the clock that keeps stopping for some unknown reason, winky face. (gasps) E anonymous. Are you making your girlfriend change the batteries in your wall clock just so you can watch her bum pop? That's an act of evil genius. I respect that. 
I like it. Okay. <laughs> Next week, I want to hear all your stories of pride. Yes, come on. We're having a month of pride specials. Did you meet someone at pride? Did you have a, a fabulous experience? Did you come out at pride? Were you inspired by it? Tell me everything. You can email me smutdrop at metro.co.uk or you can follow me on Instagram and reply to my stories. It's Miri Kane, M-I-R-I-K-A-N-E. I've been Miranda Kane. Smut Drop was produced by Pineapple Audio Production for metro.co.uk. If you are enjoying this weekly dip into the warm waters of sins of the flesh, please leave me a nice review. In the meantime, I'll be back to prick up your ears next week. And remember, don't do anything I wouldn't do, but if you do, then name it after me. I'm ahead of the game.